Welcome to this edition of Community Matters Podcast, where we discuss issues important to managing and governing condos, cooperatives, and homeowner associations. My name is Tony Campisi, and I'm Executive Director of Community Associations Institute's Pennsylvania and Delaware Valley Chapter. My guest today is John M. Hershey, AIA, a lead accredited professional licensed architect, reserve specialist, and president of J. Hershey Building Consultants, a consulting design and construction management firm with offices in Chicago, Cleveland, Philadelphia, and Orlando. John has consulted with clients throughout the United States and has been the project lead on countless design and construction projects. We'll be talking about the damaging effects of water infiltration and how you can detect and prevent this costly problem in homes and buildings in your condo, cooperative, or planned community. John, thank you for joining me today. Thanks for having me, Tony. Before we start, I'd like to recognize the sponsor of this podcast episode, the law firm of Young & Harros, located in Stroudsburg, Pennsylvania. Experience quality legal representation. Young & Harros helps property owners, associations, and small and medium businesses with community association, business, and business litigation law. Find out more at www.eastpenlaw.com. So, John, tell me what some of the common water infiltration examples are that you've seen in your uh, experience. So, some of the uh, things that we see quite often, which may or may not be uh, commonly expected of of residents and and managers, uh, include, for example, yesterday I was out uh, doing a reserve study site observation of a property in Bluebell and these were townhome style buildings it was a fairly sloped site and these units had a number of basements and the concrete foundations were exposed along the slopes and it was apparent to us there were a number of cracks in the foundation so something like this might not be much of an issue on a property that has uh, first floors or ground floors that are on slabs, but when you've got a, a basement that could be finished, cracks in the foundations need to be addressed. So that's something we see frequently. Other examples would be uh, brick-clad buildings. A lot of people think that those should be considered maintenance-free, but especially if your property is, let's say, over 40 years old, those mortar joints become very porous and need to be addressed. So we see a lot of water infiltration through older buildings such as that. Uh, Another example would be exterior walls where building materials change, maybe where siding abuts brick wainscoting or stone wainscoting, as well as roofs. Of course, that's a very common issue and that's usually at the flashed areas where roofs meet walls. So, John, share with us some of the more unusual water filtration issues that you've dealt with at a community association. So some of the things that we've seen that uh, we find interesting, it's it's certainly not uh, something that a resident wants to experience, but some of the more unusual things, they can be very simple or complicated in their cause. But a, a simple one, for example, is someone getting water through a first floor unit near the ground. Uh, We've seen a number of times this occur when there's brick exterior cladding. And we've actually gone out and had uh, 
following an, an observation had the association turn on the lawn sprinkler system only to find that the uh, uh, lawn sprinklers from the uh, irrigation, especially when they're heavily planted around the pruners, pointing in the wrong direction. Maybe it's just something that happened during maintenance in the last season, but pointed right at the wall and then they shoot concentrated streams of, of water. So that's something that could be easily rectified, but is often overlooked. Uh, example of something a little bit more unusual is maybe in a multi-story building, a mid-rise that has masonry exterior walls, precast plank floors. We've had a number of times where we've gone into a unit, let's say on a uh, second floor unit that has condensation forming throughout the winter, winter at their concrete ceilings along the perimeter. Uh, What's, what we often recommend is for managers to get into uh, the adjacent units and see what's going on. But when we've seen this, uh, we've gone into adjacent units, let's say a unit above in a multi-story building, and found the unit above to be vacated and the uh, thermostat to be turned off. So the unit above is cold. The subject unit is kept at a normal warm temperature and the change in temperature has caused condensation on the uh, unit ceiling and thus resulting in organic growth as well and again a simple corrective action would be to turn on the thermostat of the unit above but that's not something that that uh, is easily understood and certainly not by the resident that's having the issue let me ask you a follow-up before you continue on there. So is that something, is that more common with certain types of building materials than others, like a concrete ceiling or a plaster ceiling? Yeah, that would be something we would see more often, and it's an unusual condition, but we would see it more often in a structure that's typically mid-rise, masonry exterior walls, brick and block construction, and concrete, uh, precast concrete plank floors. Uh, so that's that's often where we'll see that. Okay. Another uh, condition we've seen is where buildings, uh, again, maybe mid-rise or high-rise buildings have roof terraces for the residents to enjoy. Uh, and the designer may have originally uh, detailed it to have built-in landscape planters. We've seen where there are planters or there are railings on terraces, all these things that are interconnected with the terrace structure itself, where the terrace might be waterproofed, the inside of the planters might be waterproofed, but there's multiple penetrations on that roof uh, terrace that, that are not properly sealed. So they're just, when you ha think you have something sealed, there's oftentimes areas that are overlooked. So, John, in, in this area, um, we've heard often um, about homes or buildings that have stucco on the exterior that has either failed or might not have been installed properly, and, and uh, water is infiltrating into the into the walls. Um, can you can you comment on that? How that might be noticed and then uh, fixed? Yeah, we see, we look at a number of properties that have stucco, both in the northern and the southern climates, uh, and they have uh, different issues, but it all comes down to uh, water penetrating 
these stucco, as you mentioned, Tony. So what are maybe coming through the stucco itself, which is a, uh, a Portland cement plaster material, or it could be coming in through joints where um, there might be sealant at, at penetrations around windows and things like that. Um, our recommendation in how something should be constructed when, it's, when stucco is used is to simply put uh, that there should be a space behind the, the cement plaster between that and the building wall structure for water that does penetrate to be able to run down this cavity and then have an opportunity to drain out at the bottom of the wall or, or at uh, wall penetrations. Uh, when you have existing stuccoed walls that don't have that type of cavity, uh, one potential option is to provide a certain type of masonry sealer that makes the outside uh, of the stucco waterproof with a coating. The concern we have with this is that, especially when associations change management companies, is for there to be a continuation of knowledge that that waterproofing coating is applied and needs to be updated every so many years, just like paint itself. But paint is not a waterproof material necessarily. So uh, it's all about the maintenance and understanding what has to be done to, to keep that waterproof. So whether it's stucco or a, a roof or siding, when, a, when walking a property, what can a property manager or an association board member look for on the exterior of their buildings to proactively understand if they have a condition that might be susceptible to roof or exterior wall leaks? So um, certainly some of the things that we help managers and residents look for is like we discussed earlier, cracks in foundation walls, cracks in masonry cladding. Those can be fairly obvious. Uh, the age of the masonry cladding, like I said, if it's certainly if it's over 40 years, but even close to that, the, the quality of the mortar and the joints. Um, oftentimes there's issues with understanding how sealant is applied at, at penetrations in the walls. And sometimes we see sealant applied by maintenance people uh, in locations that are not appropriate. I'll give you an example. Um, we often see over windows, again in, in masonry clad walls, where there's a steel lintel above the window openings, and uh, maybe a, a resident has, has had issues with water infiltration. So a common uh, attempt at resolving it is to apply sealant at a gap between the top of the window, which has a steel lintel, and, and the brick above. Unfortunately, that gap is meant to be open to allow any water that does get behind the brick to drain out. So what this is doing when sealant is applied or caulk, as commonly uh, termed, when that's applied, it actually traps moisture inside and redirects the water into the building, causing more damage. So to look for uh, penetrations that are properly sealed, but also some uh, gaps to not have sealant. It's a, it's a tricky thing, but that's something we recommend looking for. Uh, one other thing that's not obvious, many of our, especially townhome style condominiums, have gutters and downspouts that are undersized. They're, uh, in the original construction, standard size gutters and downspouts like 
might be found on the single family home are used. And these are undersized for the size of roofs that we have on these properties. So uh, an easy corrective action would be to provide more of a commercial size gutter and downspout, but there's calculations that can be uh, performed to determine the proper sizing of these elements. So let's talk about flashing materials. Uh, what, what types of flashing are there? When and where should they be used? And how often should this type of material be replaced? So one common thing we see on roofs, for example, sloped roofs with asphalt shingles is that a, uh, uh, to keep costs down, the association might have a roofing company do an overlay of shingles on top of what's there. Um, or if they're stripping the shingles and putting new shingles, they might do that, but leave all the flashings. So flashings typically in this situation may be aluminum or some other metal, depending on the, the type of roofing. Uh, but they occur where roofs and walls intersect, such as dormers, uh, or where first floor roof intersects with a second floor wall. Uh, but oftentimes, as I mentioned, these flashings are left to save on costs. The issue is that these flashings are not meant to last forever. So in our office, a good rule of thumb is if uh, roofing is replaced, a shingle roofing is replaced, let's say, roughly every 25 years, to at least uh, replace the flashings every second replacement. So let's say every 40 or 50 years. Um, certainly sooner if, if an issue is observed, but that would be a good rule of thumb. Uh, other types of flashings in, in masonry walls that we've been talking about, such as at window heads, door heads, or at the base of the walls where the, the brick um, rests on a foundation, that tends to be a flexible or a fabric type flashing. Maybe it's a, a rubber uh, or, as I mentioned, fabric flashing. And uh, again, that's these flashings are installed to redirect water that gets behind the surface material, whether it be walls or roofs, and out, uh, redirect that water out to the past the outside surface of those cladding materials. Many times there's a, a benefit to working with a building consultant such as yourself rather than a roofer or another type of contractor when a unit owner experiences a leak into their residence. Um, why is this the case and, and is there a fee? Is there typically a fee for that type of consultation? So what, what we often experience, especially uh, when dealing with an association that maybe hasn't worked with us before, is that a uh, common occurrence is a unit owner experiences a leak of some sort and they contact the property manager. The property manager often goes to their list of preferred business partners uh, who are contractors, let's say roofing, whatever it might be. Now, let's say they go to a roofing contractor and say, you know, unit 301 has a leak. Would you go out there, do me a favor, take a look at it? The roofing contractor goes out there and takes a look at it and there's no fee involved in that. Um, they're doing it in good faith and in anticipation that maybe some work will come out of it in uh, performing their repairs. Uh, they might even do a little repair uh, 
but that is not necessarily, even though it might have been uh, a fix that was needed, it might not address the leak that uh, is being experienced that caused the initial request for uh, review in the first place. So we will get calls weeks to months uh, after a leak has started when a number of contractors have been called to come out. So maybe it's the roofing contractor first, they address something, it doesn't correct it, then maybe it's a window company or carpentry company, somebody that deals with balconies, on and on, and um, elapsed time happens, maybe it doesn't rain for a period of weeks, the, the issue is thought to be fixed, but it's ultimately not. We are then brought out and we do a more holistic evaluation. We're not uh, looking to sell brick or sell roofing or whatever it might be. That's not our motivation. Not to say that that's a contractor's motivation, but that's what their knowledge base is. And we look at the whole building as it might relate to the issue. And we have a 99% track record of solving these water infiltration problems or these water leaks, whether it's internal or externally generated. Uh, that is the service we provide and we're providing a level of knowledge and expertise that uh, is associated with a fee. All of our services and, and certainly any similar consulting companies will charge a fee for doing that evaluation, which generally uh, includes the site visit, uh, observations, maybe there's some water testing, different techniques that are used in determining the cause of the water, and then ultimately a report that has recommendations for corrective actions. Well, John, thank you for joining me today to talk about detecting and preventing water infiltration into buildings. If you'd like more information on services provided by J. Hershey Building Consultants, please visit them online at jhersheygroup.com. I'd also like to mention our sponsor one more time, the law firm of Young & Harros. You can find them online at www.eastpenlaw.com. For more resources and best practices on managing and, and governing your condominium, co-op, or homeowners association, please contact CAI or visit our website at www.cai.com dash pa delval dot org. Thank you for listening. <laughs>